Hello, and welcome to The Doctor Is In, a podcast created by the healthcare experts of IU Health Physicians at IU Health Fort Wayne. In this podcast series, you will learn all about important, timely, and interesting health matters as they relate to you, the listener, and all from those who know it the best. Now, sit back and enjoy this episode of The Doctor Is In. Today, I'm really excited to have uh, Dr. John Tan with me. Um, John and I have known each other for probably five or six years. Um, he actually is a board-certified family medicine doctor who trained here in Fort Wayne at Fort Wayne, the Fort Wayne MedEd program. Um, he is, um, was chief resident um, for two years, actually, while I knew him, and he was the coordinator of the program for education, and John has always been a huge advocate for both patient and um, clinician education, so I'm really happy, happy to have him here and joining me today. Um, since we last talked, we are continuing to grow. We now have a third location in Fort Wayne that will open in September. It is just about finished, located at um, the corner of Stellhorn and Laymeyer <clears throat> on the northeast side. It's an area in Fort Wayne, I think, that has a need for primary care, so it's going to be a great location. And we are now up to 11 doctors in our two locations, and within that three-month period between now and September when the third office opens, we'll go up to having 18 physicians that are all primary care doctors in Fort Wayne. So a lot of opportunity and choice for you. Dr. Tan practices at our Southwest location, which is located at Engle Road and Jefferson Road, the corner of uh, those two. Uh, he went to Huntington University for his undergrad work, uh, which brought him close and local. I think he met Megan at mm -hmm. Huntington, so he and his wife and they now have three uh, young boys um, that are growing up here in Fort Wayne. It's um, really fun to watch them grow. Um, John joined us three years ago, um, almost three years, I guess mm -hmm. now, huh? Yeah. So um, to uh, become our first physician. So John was an index doctor for us for IU Health in Fort Wayne, and we were appreciative to him for having chosen the, the organization. He's a thoughtful listener, he's a great practitioner, really committed to improving patients' health, but also really intent on making sure that we do the best we can to prevent health issues and to work towards healthfulness. So um, today's topic is not just cardiovascular health, but maintaining cardiovascular health, which mm -hmm. I really appreciate John's titling of. So um, thanks for joining me. Thank let's, uh, let's kick off a little bit with just this question of cardiovascular health because what comes to mind for me always is heart health, but mm -hmm. it's more than that really, isn't oh, absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah, so yeah, so thanks for having me. And uh, uh, this truly is, uh, the reason why I chose family medicine is because uh, I just, I'm passionate about um, uh, just preventive care. So, and uh, really uh, prevention, early action is key when it comes to cardiovascular health. Mm -hmm. So uh, you mentioned that cardiovascular health is not just about the heart, it really is about a variety of things. Um, I like to kind of use, I kind of steal this analogy from the cardiologist, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, look, look at a cardiovascular heart as, as your home and uh, uh, you got the, the piping, you got the, the wirings, okay, mm -hmm. and uh, um, you have this big piping, small piping, so uh, when it comes to the heart, that's the pump, that's your sump pump. You don't want mm -hmm. to overwhelm the sump pump because mm -hmm. when they overwhelm, things overflows and you don't want your piping to the bathroom to get clocked up okay <laughs> so so things like that you know kind of pertains to the body as well uh, you want the the arteries and the heart to remain unplugged and uh, you want the blood vessel in the legs to remain unplugged so um, and then 
and I want to introduce you to a new idea and that is looking at diabetes differently. Car diabetes is equivalent to cardiovascular disease mm -hmm. um, because it causes a lot of the uh, microvascular damage. So the small blood vessels in your hand, in your toes, in your eyes, uh, it gets plucked up by the sugar. So that is equivalent to cardiovascular disease. Yeah, so so what um, what Dr. Tan's talking about is um, the pumping mechanism and also the vessels that carry the blood, that's called peripheral vascular disease, but one manifestation of that that people don't always associate with cardiovascular health mm -hmm. is stroke, right? I mean, absolutely. same problem up same, there is the circulatory problem. issue. Exactly, yeah, go back to the, the blood vessel that feeds into the brain. Mm -hmm. uh, those can get blocked, you know, you can get blockage in the neck as well, and you know, mm -hmm. that's called the carotid stenosis, you know, there are blood vessels in the neck. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, so all the above, all the piping, all the arteries in your, in your body all pertain to the cardiovascular system and they can all can be damaged yeah. by you know, cardiovascular disease. So today what we want to talk about is what you can do, how you can influence things. So there are some elements related to your cardiovascular mm -hmm. health that you can't control. You can't control the fact that your genetics make you vulnerable to certain things. You know what your parents have had, your grandparents have had. Those are things that sort of set you up for um, issues. You can't really control that, but what you can control are the modifiable factors that we really want to spend a fair amount of time talking today about. So John, can you just characterize um, what those modifiables are, the things that can have some influence on the ultimate health of your cardiac and your uh, cerebral and peripheral blood vessel system. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, so there are a couple of modifiable risk factors, meaning the things that you can do for yourself so that you don't uh, get impacted by cardiovascular disease. And before I go into that, I just want to share some big statistics that pertain to our, our, our country in terms of cardiovascular disease. Uh, just kind of make an impression why this is so important. Uh, cardiovascular disease, heart disease, okay, in general, is the leading cause uh, the man and woman in this country, okay, it counts. Uh, one person dies from cardiovascular disease every 37 seconds. Oof. Okay, so that that's equivalent to uh, one, uh, as equivalent to 647,000 men and women that mm -hmm. die from this disease every year. Okay, okay. one in every people in the U.S. Death. In the U.S. Wow. In the okay. U.S. So big number, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and it's not great for businesses because it counts for $219 billion for the lost productivity, the healthcare cost, things mm -hmm. like that. So, um, and, and not just that, if you look at just a heart attack itself, um, 18.2 million of our, our population uh, has some form uh, age 20 and above has some form of coronary artery disease. Well. So it starts young, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, and I'll, I'll bring it back why I'm, I'm giving you all these statistics. Uh, and then about two in 10 deaths from uh, coronary artery disease happen in adults who are age less than 65. Mm. So we're targeting a group of people 20 to 65, uh, which is supposed to be the prime years uh, mm -hmm. of your life, uh, but you can be impacted by cardiovascular disease if we don't address it early, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, so, so back to the modifier risk. Uh, I share those statistics with you because uh, it is so um, easy and early on to be able to prevent some of these 
um, devastating effect of cardiovascular disease. And number one is smoking. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, I joke about how if we uh, if you don't if you didn't go to medical school, but if you had to take one question from the the entrance test, okay, you you hope that you better hope that you get a question about smoking because mm -hmm. that's always the right answer. Mm -hmm. Okay, so smoking is never the wrong answer. Um, if you uh, can quit smoking, that's the best for you. We want to address obesity, overweight. Uh, majority of our population is struggling with this. Okay, mm -hmm. being overweight, and when <clears throat> you are overweight. Your heart, your pump, has to work harder. Mm -hmm. Okay, it has to pump against all the resistance in the lower extremities, in the upper chest. So, diet, diet is a big thing. Okay, mm -hmm. and uh, physical inactivity. Okay, not 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 being physical, and I, I think that that is something that we we can all work on. Mm -hmm. uh, high cholesterol. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, actually, a different way to say it is dyslipidemia. Okay, mm -hmm. just the imbalance. I mean, there's good cholesterol and there's bad cholesterol, which we'll talk a little bit here. Um, so the imbalance of the cholesterol level mm -hmm. uh, and the high blood pressure. Okay, mm -hmm. high blood pressure is kind of like a landmine. Okay, you really don't know it's there until something bad happens. Mm -hmm. So you really want to catch early. So that's kind of where you want to be a partner uh, with a healthcare provider, uh, a physician. To address that, and mm -hmm. the lastly, diabetes, which I mentioned earlier, uh, it causes a lot of microvascular disease yeah. uh, throughout the body. Good. So those are six big things that I think we'd like to dissect a little bit and talk a little bit about, enlighten you about, and then hopefully it'll generate some questions from you. Let's start with diet because mm -hmm. I think it's the most fundamental thing. It's definitely the thing that we have a huge amount of opportunity to modify or change. So mm -hmm. what kinds of what kinds of things in diet are the modifiable factors that we can do that optimize our our cardiovascular health? Absolutely, yeah. I, I think um, I think a lot of a lot of people out there have been told, you know, what a good diet should be, and I and I, I may feel like I'm being repetitive here, uh, but it comes down to it. Really, you want to have good uh, uh, amount of fruits and vegetables, mm -hmm. okay, and that is the the fiber uh, in those food. Uh, not only uh, it increases satiety, uh, it has less impact in terms of uh, the cholesterol and things like that. And, it, and a lot of the fruits and vegetables has high antioxidants, mm -hmm. okay? So uh, we are organisms that uses oxygen as part of our metabolism, but by using oxygen, as you can see the things around you, things rust uh, when there's oxygen. So things can rust inside as well uh, when there's oxygen radical. And that's mm -hmm. when the antioxidant comes in and to kind of, kind of erase all those radicals. Because radicals mm -hmm. can cause a lot of damage in the heart as well. Mm -hmm. um, so and, the, and the, excuse me for interrupting, nope. but the, the presence of those materials are there because our body's using the oxygen in order to function, but it produces the radicals as a result. Exactly. And we need to find ways to actually help to make that be processed better? Exactly, it is a part of the kind of waste product you know, mm -hmm. that our body you know, have to go through, um, but with the uh, antioxidant, which are found in a lot of the fruits and vegetables, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, I like to make it easy for kind of a lot of my patients. You're like, you, you go to the grocery store, like, so which one should I have? Mm -hmm. Go for the dark color, okay? Mm -hmm. The dark purple, the Bright dark colors, green. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. those are the ones that, uh, for some reason, the way they're created, um, the things just when they're dark in color, they have more mm -hmm. antioxidant. Okay, <laughs> so go over those things. Those are good mm -hmm. for you and good for your cardiovascular health. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to the diabetes scan. You really want to go for food that has low glycemic index. What does that mean? That means mm -hmm. food that has low sugar impact. Okay, uh, and there are kind of five things I, I typically kind of uh, preach my my patient. Uh, I said, you know, if you forget everything I tell you today, I, I typically uh, kind of 
bombarding with so much information about uh, health and lifestyle changes, I said, uh, I want you to remember this if you forget everything, and that is, if it's white, try not to bite, okay? <laughs> and what are the white uh, five things, okay? Uh, white potato, mm -hmm. white bread, mm -hmm. white rice, that's my weakness right there, mm -hmm. and white pasta, mm -hmm. and really ultimately, white sugar, mm -hmm. okay? Sugar makes up all four of the things I just mentioned earlier. They're mm -hmm. all carbohydrates, right. okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, again, back to the diabetes thing, as you can probably tell, I'm, I'm just passionate about diabetes because it's so reversible you know but yeah it causes so much harm and damage right. in a lot of people's health so low sugar means low inflammation in mm -hmm. our body and low inflammation means no cardiovascular disease okay yeah. and then ultimately you want to go for fish you want to go for plant sources that are high in omega-3 fatty acid and those are the fatty food that you want that will stabilize the bad cholesterol mm -hmm. yeah that's great so um so the interesting thing about those commentaries, I think, relate to the fact that white foods tend to be heavily processed foods. And the reason that it creates problems, explain this a little bit, um, mm -hmm. with glycemic index is because it's so super easy for the body to absorb them, right? Absolutely. I mean, it comes in, things come in a burst when you get it. Exactly, so. exactly. So as a matter of fact, uh, people have done studies where uh, you eat these really processed food, uh, for instance, uh, mashed potato that mm -hmm. are just from the frozen aisle versus if you make your own mashed potato, you mm -hmm. kind of compare it. The processed food, for some reason, once our body takes ingested, it just turns into sugar right away, mm -hmm. okay? And then your body senses, our body is so well first and it senses things and our pancreas have to kick in, okay? So uh, the pancreas has to in inject a whole bunch of insulin mm -hmm. for you to digest all those sugar. Sort of a spike exactly. of sugar as opposed to an arc of sugar coming Ex in. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So imagine this, and we, all of us have a car. I mean, you don't want to be ramping your engine all the time. Mm -hmm. That will, it will, it will decrease gas mileage, mm -hmm. right? Uh, the same way, if you keep doing that to your pancreas, it decreases gas mileage of the, uh, the pancreas in the long mm -hmm. run. Yeah. Okay, so let's, let's talk about physical activity. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably one of the other things that's extremely modifiable by the individual mm -hmm. in terms of what they can do to help themselves with cardiovascular disease. So tell me what your feelings are about how much is the right kind, what's the right kind, how much is the right amount. Absolutely, yeah. So physical activity is a uh, one of the uh, modifiable uh, factors that you can do for your cardiovascular health. And uh, if you look at different literature, there, um, there are different definitions in terms of the quality of the exercise. And uh, most cardiology um, groups uh, will identify a moderate intensity exercise as 150 minutes a week. And so if you break that down, it's about 30 minutes a day um, that involves um, cardio workout. And uh, when, I, when I say cardio workout, uh, that is defined by elevating your heart rate. So uh, having said that, um, it, it has to be tailored uh, from patient to patient in terms of your cardiac tolerance. So mm -hmm. uh, one important question you need to ask is, will I be able to tolerate some of these uh, amazing exercise regimen that are on TV, online? Uh, I think they're great for you, but you have to be able to tolerate. So that's a good discussion to have with your uh, primary care physician. Uh, another definition would be uh, just do a very pretty intense um, 75 minutes of exercise a week. Uh, one example I can think of um, is the Orange Theory, uh, pretty popular right now, and um, 
what it is is really you, you're strapped onto a cardiac monitor and it monitors your heart rate and uh, there's a formula that calculate uh, where the fat burning zone is hmm. and uh, you want to achieve that zone to really uh, acquire um, calorie um, burning uh, for, for your body. Uh, less fat, the better. So, uh, but for a lot of the patients out there that are, are just not as intense, I think uh, a brisk walking, you know, 20 minutes a day uh, with your significant other uh, uh, and late in the evening, that alone is enough to make a big difference. And I also want to stress the, 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 the important that uh, this is not about doing it when you are in your late 30s, late 40s, when cardiovascular disease is creeping up on you. Uh, really, we encourage people doing it even when they're in their um, childhood. Uh, mm -hmm. Kids should be doing it. This should be a habit. Uh, young adults should be doing it because the earlier you start, the better. Yeah, that's great. And when you talk about taking a walk, on a daily basis, can that be like three or four times a week? You can feel good about if you are getting out that frequently, is that good enough or what yeah. would you say to that? Yeah, I, th I think uh, three, four times a week. Uh, I mean, oh, I, I, I encourage people to push themselves a little bit. I think one good indicator when it comes to walking is uh, if you start with a dry t-shirt, maybe when you get home, just feel a little sweaty. That means you did get your heart going. Mm -hmm. uh, if there wasn't any sweat, probably you didn't work hard enough. So mm -hmm. 20, 30 minutes to get the heart rate up, I think is sufficient. Yeah, great. So if you don't mind, I'd like to go back to talking about smoking. You mentioned that early in the program. Um, smoking uh, is something that we know has association to cancer risk, but um, it also has a significant um, component that is cardiovascular in nature. And how does it do that? And what is the effect of stopping? How, how does it change things in your cardiovascular system when you do quit? Yeah, so uh, smoking uh, really remains the leading um, cause of um, premature death period, you know, and the majority of that accounts for the cardiovascular disease. And uh, um, I mean, smoking by itself, you can go, you can do a presentation just on that. Mm. Um, but to answer your question, what smoking does is uh, it, it expose your body to a lot of carcinogens, and a lot of these carcinogens uh, at the pathophysiological level and a microscopic level is causing microinsole that results in inflammation of your body. Mm -hmm. Inflammation of the blood vessel, the inflammations of the lung, the alveoli, um, which results in COPD a lot of times. But the insole to the uh, blood vessel uh, is ultimately one of the reasons why um, your body will lead uh, into a uh, atherosclerosis. Uh, there's a lot of tear to the blood vessel wall with the inflammation and the body is trying to fix it and one way to fix it is to patch it up and one of the things they use to patch it up is cholesterol molecule mm. and with cholesterol molecule kind of build up on that uh, vascular wall eventually leads to stenosis and then ultimately you know the stroke uh, the uh, heart attack that we see in our patients yeah so how quickly is it reversed if you stop? You know, I think we want to motivate people to quit. So yeah. what um, can they expect in terms of improving? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, 
the, the benefit of, of smoking cessation can uh, appear as quickly as few months, mm -hmm. okay? And uh, statistically, we look at people who have uh, not smoked for uh, five to seven years, a lot of these people will end up having uh, the same cardiovascular risk as the general population who don't smoke. Uh, so it's never too late to quit smoking. Um, one of the things I tell a lot of my patients is that uh, the first few weeks when you quit smoking, uh, you might end up feeling worse. And the question is why? Uh, and one of the things is if you look at the alveoli, the uh, the bronchioles, a lot of the, uh, the uh, cilia, which is a microscopic cell, uh, of the the airway will start growing back, uh, and once they start growing back, they act like your chimney brush. Uh, it start clearing all the the soot in your lungs, and mm. so you're gonna start coughing more. But a lot of people end up feeling so much better when they first wake up. This is why it feels like to take a deep breath and actually be able to smell food. Yeah. Um, so those are all good things. And and remember, uh, smoking cessation, you don't have to do it by yourself. Uh, you should partner with your um, primary care physician because there's so many tools out there. Um, there are medication that you can use and there are good studies behind those medication that increases your success in smoking cessation. Um, and ultimately, it also requires just that making that decision at the willpower. Uh, so getting a support system also helps as well. Oh, that's really, really good. Thank you. So let's um, let's go to the next set of categories, which are sort of more of the metabolic aspects of things. Um, let's talk first about obesity. Um, and in particular, there's a certain kind of obesity that has a connection to cardiovascular health that I'm not sure everybody is aware of the distinction of. I mean, we know that there are a lot of health problems that are are specific to obesity just in terms of the demands it makes on the body by having added body weight. But, but there are specific connections to cardiovascular disease for obesity related to certain kinds of obesity. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of glad you brought in kind of the obesi obesity at, right after smoking because uh, worldwide, including the United States, overweight obesity is overtaking cigarettes that's the leading cause of uh, premature death. Uh, as we have more food, uh, I, I think it's easy to overeat, and by overeating, a lot end up leading to overweight, eventually obesity. And obesity, uh, like you mentioned earlier, it encompasses uh, a, a metabolic syndrome, uh, and that includes your diabetes, that includes your uh, high cholesterol, or also known as dyslipidemia, and then ultimately uh, also results in um, hypertension, mm -hmm. and those three things. And and I, when you look at diabetes, I want you to look at uh, the, the mechanism of it, and that is insulin resistance. Mm -hmm. And when we are obese, um, and that this is not about uh, just being overweight on the outside, it could also mean overweight on the inside. And what I mean by that is central obesity. Uh, a lot of us could be relatively thin on the outside, um, but we have so much fat buildup around our GI system, our colon, um, that end up leading uh, resistance to the receptors that are on our GI system that senses the level of blood glucose in our um, in our body, and that leads to less insulin or less um, or more resistance than ultimately uh, diabetes. 
and uh, in terms of hypertension, uh, a little bit of chemistry there, um, more uh, glucose concentration or whether uh, salt as well, uh, that brings in more volume to the intravascular volume, uh, so that's why your blood pressure just increases, uh, as well as um, more weight on your extremities, your body just had to work harder, your mm -hmm. heart had to pump harder mm -hmm. uh, to, to overcome the, the pressure and that ultimately leads to high blood pressure. Now that's interesting. So let's keep working that. Um, I'm intrigued by this whole thing of the metabolic syndrome. So let's talk a little bit about the diabetes side of things and how this relates to um, your overall cardiovascular health. You mentioned earlier in this talk that it affects your small blood vessels, uh, large blood vessels obviously with atherosclerosis, but even the small blood vessels. Uh, you mentioned I think eyes and fingertips and those sort of things. So talk a little bit about this type 2 diabetes connection and how controlling that mm -hmm. can contribute to better cardiovascular health. Even if you have diabetes, you can improve your cardiovascular health um, by doing some things. So talk a little bit about both of those aspects. Yeah, so the, the, the pandemic of type 2 diabetes is strongly associated with the overall status, the obesity status. Uh, and like you mentioned earlier, uh, there is the macrovascular component, the big blood vessel, uh, and that's what we, we see with heart attack, what we see with stroke in the brain, and as well as the peripheral artery disease in your legs. And, uh, uh, and aside from that, we have the microvascular complication, and that comes down to uh, neuropathies, mm -hmm. and as well as nephropathy, you got mm -hmm. tiny blood vessel in the kidney, as well as retinopathy, and that is basically the retina behind your eye, are supplied by tiny blood vessels. And, and they're so tiny that, um, that we're taught in medical school that it's, uh, it only allows one blood cell to pass through one at a time uh, to allow nutrient exchange. And so you can imagine uh, if you mix in a whole bunch of glucose in there, um, it really plugs up blood, blood vessel and something gets plugged up and often leads to uh, necrosis, death, and, and, and the, um, the nervous tissue of our body is extremely sensitive to these uh, micro insoles and ultimately it just leads to um, necrosis and then death and eventually it's on the um, uh, side effects that we see with diabetes. Yeah, a lot of dysfunction in the end organs, right? So you mm -hmm. can see vision loss in the eyes, you mm -hmm. can see the kidneys um, gradually failing and ultimately potentially requiring dialysis, those sort of things. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So, so controlling it mm -hmm. supposedly helps, right? So let's talk about that. How do you do that? And, and then how do you measure it? How, how can you tell mm -hmm. that a person's diabetes is coming under better control and that it's actually improving their cardiovascular system. Absolutely. Uh, I like to look at diabetes really as a spectrum of uh, insulin resistance. Mm -hmm. uh, as a matter of fact, pre-diabetes probably accounts for more people in this country than and the true diabetic. Mm -hmm. uh, in other words, a lot of people really have strong risk factor for diabetes, but we're never told. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, by putting a pre before the diabetes, it doesn't make it minor. Uh, mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, you're almost there. And once you're diabetic, it's oftentimes it's difficult to re uh, reverse. Mm -hmm. So by definition, uh, you become a diabetic uh, when your A1C, hemoglobin A1C, uh, is greater than 6.7. And what that tells us is the, the average of blood glucose in the last three months. 
and uh, our red blood cell lives about three months. That's why we utilize that as a tool mm -hmm. to measure how your sugar has been the last three months. Another way to do it is if you go see, uh, if you go to health screening or you go to your doctor, you could uh, get a, a, a random blood glucose. And uh, typically we don't want that to be beyond uh, 200. This is random, you know, whether you ate or not. But let's say you are fasting. Uh, a lot of times we're told to fast for your labs. Mm -hmm. So uh, looking at the fasting blood glucose, we don't want that to be beyond 125. Uh, so these are all uh, different measures of how uh, well your body metabolizes sugar. And uh, a lot of time when you hit that one abnormal reading, a lot of time we probably, pretty much will actually come back and recheck it. But A1C is a, is a great tool. Um, and it basically tell what uh, basically what a lot three months been going on so whatever you did the night before whether you fast not fast it doesn't really change mm -hmm. that value yeah so your methods of we won't go into great depth on this but your methods of dealing with that might start with diet manipulation it might start with increasing activity because both of those things improve your sugar tolerance or your glucose tolerance but then you may end up prescribing medications that mm -hmm. actually help to control that and in the course of doing that, mm -hmm. if you're able to bring a person's A1C mm -hmm. levels, the hemoglobin A1C, down to a normal range, mm -hmm. does that correlate with improvements in their cardiovascular system? Absolutely, it does. And uh, by bringing down your uh, your glycemic index, which is your A1C, uh, you are uh, greatly reducing the the insulins on on the blood vessel. New ones, new as ones, well as exactly. Reversing, exactly reversing, exactly. So, uh, our, our our pancreas. Uh, it's one of the abdominal organs that uh, expresses finger across the abdominal cavity and uh, it has a certain amount of mileage to it. And so in other words, you don't want to work too hard, work the pancreas too hard because it often leads to not working at 100% capacity. And when that happens, what that means is you're not secreting enough insulin. Mm -hmm. And less insulin means less ability to metabolize the sugar. And by controlling that, uh, like you mentioned earlier, it, it takes diet. So if you eat less sugar, then there's less sugar in your body. Mm -hmm. uh, if you exercise, and that means you're burning up the sugar, then there's less sugar in your body. Mm -hmm. So those are all good ways to do it. But medication oftentimes is one way to quickly reverse that. And uh, um, it depends on the range of your uh, severity of diabetes, uh, kind of a discussion that you have to have with your doctor. Uh, obviously, if your A1C is like 10, mm -hmm. uh, there's really not much discussion in terms of uh, lifestyle modification, which you should do, but medication will quickly reverse this because, uh, like I mentioned earlier, the macrovascular um, as well as microvascular complication, uh, those have to be addressed quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, there are oftentimes silent uh, destroyer in the background, and if you don't address it right away, um, some of these severe uh, side effects are pretty much uh, in the near near future. Yeah, they happen. Yeah. So let's move on to the last of these categories of the modifiables that are part of the metabolic syndrome, which is hypertension. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk a little bit about how you know you have it. Um, are there symptoms that are associated with it or not? And then, and how do we diagnose it? And then what kinds of things when we actually do manage it and improve it, how does it benefit a person in terms of their vascular system's health? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, 
high blood pressure slash hypertension uh, is defined by uh, elevated blood pressure systolically and diastolically. And systolically, uh, it, that's a number where you're above 130, mm -hmm. uh, and diastolically, and that's a number that's above 80. And that applies to uh, majority of our population. Uh, that's kind of the uh, the 30s to the 60s. That's the number we typically use. Uh, sometimes that could be a little different uh, if you have other chronic disease that we, we will allow a more lenient number, but 130 over 80 is the number we're looking at. So uh, when we see a blood pressure of that number, uh, it, it really only captures of that moment. Mm -hmm. So in other words, uh, there's a ranges of blood pressure throughout the day. Uh, what we want is that your blood pressure remain below the highest allowable blood pressure so that uh, you're not causing, again, microinsult on the blood pressure, uh, blood vessel itself. Mm -hmm. uh, higher blood pressure results in tearing of the blood vessel wall. Uh, and uh, and uh, it's almost like you're having an internal kidney punch, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when you have blood pressure constantly pumping into the kidney at that higher level. So it causes kidney damage. So things you could do uh, to uh, alleviate high blood pressure or bring that down, uh, number one, you could use medication and uh, there's a variety of blood pressure medication that we use and they're all very effective. Uh, and it kind of comes down to selecting the right regimen for your uh, chronic conditions. Um, but aside from that, lifestyle management uh, is encompassed by uh, exercising, mm -hmm. uh, by uh, using your muscles. The muscle really helps diverting that blood pressure away uh, by utilizing it and then also causes vasodilation dilation in your body. Mm -hmm. What that means by vasodilation dilation is to open up your blood vessel a little wider so the blood vessel can divert. Uh, brings down the blood pressure itself. And obviously eating a uh, low salt diet uh, helps. Mm -hmm. uh, and as a matter of fact, uh, if you look at a uh, low salt diet, oftentimes will bring your systolic blood pressure down by about 10 millimeter mercury. Mm -hmm. So those are good ways to control your blood pressure yeah. uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. That's great. So now we've covered basically three of the things that are just lifestyle choices and then three of the things that are either physiologic or metabolic and mm -hmm. I think that's a good spectrum of uh, elements that people actually can have some influence on what their cardiovascular health is like. Um, the one thing that I would really like to talk very briefly about in addition to those is cholesterol. Just in one tiny bit layer deeper mm -hmm. of understanding and that has to do with when I go to my doctor and he says my cholesterol is elevated, um, what is he talking about? There's more than one type of cholesterol I know. There's more than one type of lipid. Mm -hmm. um, and those things all contribute to the problems that we would have with atherosclerosis. So, so tell me a little bit about that. Um, what are the names of those and, and then how, how do they affect your understanding and my understanding of what I, how I'm at risk. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, dyslipidemia is encompassed by a different uh, cholesterol level uh, that uh, results in different ratio as well. So a lot of times when you go get your cholesterol done, uh, you get a couple numbers here. You get the total cholesterol, mm -hmm. uh, which often is a calculated value. Uh, but we look at triglyceride, and that number is 
typically affected by whether you're fasting or not. And that's kind of our body's way of uh, transferring any excessive uh, blood glucose into a other form of energy. So we convert it to triglyceride. And then then comes down to the other two cholesterol level that I think we, we hear about it a lot, and that is the HDL, and that is uh, stands for high density lipoprotein, mm -hmm. uh, and then the LDL, that's the low density lipoprotein, and those those these two are two protein that works actively in your body by diverting cholesterol to different destination, and uh, the HDL is known as the good cholesterol. Uh, this is affected by your genetic makeup. Uh, however, uh, exercise, the right diet, can often lead to an increase in HDL. And the HDL, what it does is that it, it brings the bad cholesterol or uh, from the, the peripheral system, and that's your blood vessel, back into the liver to digest. So it, it kind of cleans up the street for you. Yeah. Uh, whereas the LDL, it, it does the opposite. It actually takes the cholesterol uh, molecules into the blood vessel. It often leads to the buildup of plaques mm -hmm. and uh, ultimately the atherosclerosis. Yeah. So in best of worlds, you want more of the HDL, less of the LDL, and if your total numbers can be lower, that's great. Absolutely, yeah. So the HDL really uh, presents itself as a protecting factor, mm -hmm. uh, but only goes so much. So I, I, I oftentimes hear people saying, uh, I can have a, bat, a high level LDL because I have a high level HDL. Mm -hmm. uh, does it pro uh, provide protection? It does, uh, but you still don't want to have a too high of LDL. Right. That ultimately kind of plugs up your blood vessels. Yeah, okay, good. Let's finish on one uh, additional topic that I think is of value to everybody that's listening, and that is what other things are minor things that you can do to decrease your cardiovascular risk, just personal choice type things that are medications or supplements or those sort of things, like talk a little bit about aspirin and um, fish oil and those sort of things. What, what can we learn from you about those things that help to make our our risk factors lower. Right, absolutely. So the aspirin uh, has long believed to be a, a, a great addition of a cardiovascular health uh, prophylaxis uh, mm -hmm. because by taking this medication, it, it kind of interferes with how your platelet works. And our platelets is kind of like the, the tiny band-aids that plug up the blood vessel when you're actively bleeding. Mm -hmm. uh, but as you can imagine, uh, the platelet will can clock against each other and potentially results in a kind of a clot uh, in, in the blood vessel and then ultimately uh, results in combining with the cholesterol uh, plaques and then causing the stenosis of the blood vessel. So aspirin kind of interferes with that and then aspirin so had long believed to be uh, uh, helping people from getting any cardiovascular effect. Mm -hmm. um, I think aspirin is a, it's baby aspirin, 81 milligrams, typically what we recommend. And there's been study that says anything beyond 81 really is not beneficial unless you have certain cardiovascular conditions uh, that your cardiologist will recommend a higher dose. But typically 81 is the one we use uh, as a prevention. And uh, um, you wanna be able to take that, it provides benefits. Uh, but you also want to make sure that you don't have any sort of bleeding issue. So, mm -hmm. so yes, aspirin does help, uh, and we do have evidence that it, it helps. 
Um, another thing that we, we sometimes recommend is fish oil. Mm -hmm. And what fish oil provides is that uh, it is a omega-3 fatty acid and it, and, and it also kind of helps by uh, stabilizing the cholesterol level in our body. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of time people will take this and it helps lower triglycerides. There's some study shows that, um, but there's also some conflicting studies. But I, I think all in all, uh, the when you weigh the benefits and the risk, I think the benefit outweighs you know the risk in this case. So, fish oil uh, really provide a benefit in primary care, uh, primary CBD prevention. Great. Anything else that you would want to comment about before we close? Yeah, so I, I think a lot of people will say, hey, red wine, uh, a, a cup a, a day really helps. Uh, with, with, yeah, alcohol. exactly. <laughs> and uh, um, so I want to say uh, it, it does help, and it, we just have to be careful because um, when, it, when it's done in excessive, uh, alcohol is a toxin to the heart. So we want to make sure that uh, if you do have a cup of wine, that's it, okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, we also uh, stress the important that uh, the red wine has the antioxidant, and that's why we're trying to mm -hmm. utilize that to help with the cardiovascular health. So uh, wine, daily alcohol, it's okay. Moderation is key. Yeah, single glass or less, yeah, good. All right, well, I really appreciate what you've talked with us about today, um, Dr. Tan. I feel like our audience is going to benefit from understanding the things that they can have some measure of control about. Obviously, there's some topics in here that we may take into a deeper level in future um, episodes, but uh, for today's uh, treasure trove. So thanks very much for spending time with me today. Thank you for having me. For more information about office locations and practitioners with Indiana University Health Fort Wayne, go to iuhealth.org backslash Fort Wayne. To schedule an appointment with any of our outstanding primary care physicians, call 260-234-5400. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Doctor Is In. We hope you join us next time too.